Section 10 of The Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government, Volume 1B. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. The Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government by Jefferson Davis, Volume 1B, Part 3, Chapter 11. The Commission to Washington City arrival of mr crawford mr buchanan's alarm note of the commissioners to the new administration mediation of justices nelson and campbell the difficulty about forts sumter and pickens mr secretary seward's assurances duplicity of the government at washington mr fox's visit to charleston secret preparations for coercive measures visit of mr lamon Renewed assurances of good faith. Notification to Governor Pickens. Developments of secret history. Systematic and complicated perfidy exposed. The appointment of commissioners to proceed to Washington for the purpose of establishing friendly relations with the United States and effecting an equitable settlement of all questions relating to the common property of the states and the public debt has already been mentioned. No time was lost in carrying this purpose into execution. Mr. Crawford, first of the commissioners, left Montgomery on or about the 27th of February and arrived in Washington two or three days before the expiration of Mr. Buchanan's term of office as President of the United States. Besides his official credentials, he bore the following letter to the President of a personal or semi-official character, intended to facilitate, if possible, the speedy accomplishment of the objects of his mission to the president of the united states sir being animated by an earnest desire to unite and bind together our respective countries by friendly ties i have appointed martin j crawford one of our most esteemed and trustworthy citizens as special commissioner of the confederate states to the government of the united states and i have now the honor to introduce him to you and to ask for him a reception and treatment corresponding to his station and to the purposes for which he is sent those purposes he will more particularly explain to you hoping that through his agency these may be accomplished i avail myself of this occasion to offer to you the assurance of my distinguished consideration signed jefferson davis montgomery february twenty seventh eighteen sixty one it may here be mentioned in explanation of my desire that the commission or at least a part of it should reach washington before the close of mr buchanan's term that i had received an intimation from him through a distinguished senator of one of the border states footnote mr hunter of virginia and footnote that he would be happy to receive a commissioner or commissioners from the confederate states and would refer to the senate any communication that might be made through such a commission mr crawford now a judge of the supreme court of georgia and the only surviving member of the commission in a manuscript account which he has kindly furnished of his recollection of the events connected with it says that on arriving in washington at the early hour of half past four o'clock in the morning he was surprised to see pennsylvania avenue from the old national to willard's hotel crowded with men hurrying some toward the former but most of the faces in the direction of the latter were the new president mr lincoln president-elect the great political almoner for the time being had taken up his lodgings 
at this point continues judge crawford the crowd swelled to astonishing numbers of expectant and hopeful men awaiting an opportunity either to see mr lincoln himself or to communicate with him through some one who might be so fortunate as to have access to his presence describing his reception in the federal capital judge crawford says the feverish and emotional condition of affairs soon made the presence of the special commissioner at washington known throughout the city congress was still of course in session senators and members of the house of representatives excepting those of the confederate states who had withdrawn were in their seats and the manifestations of anxious care and gloomy forebodings were plainly to be seen on all sides this was not confined to sections but existed among the men of the north and west as well as those of the south mr buchanan the president was in a state of most thorough alarm not only for his home in wheatland but for his personal safety footnote this statement is in accord with a remark which mr buchanan made to the author at an earlier period of the same session with regard to the violence of northern sentiment then lately indicated that he thought it not impossible that his homeward route would be lighted by burning effigies of himself and that on reaching his home he would find it a heap of ashes End footnote. in the very few days which had elapsed between the time of his promise to receive a commissioner from the confederate states and the actual arrival of the commissioner he had become so fearfully panic-stricken that he declined either to receive him or to send any message to the senate touching the subject matter of his mission the commissioner had been for several years in congress before the administration of mr buchanan as well as during his official term and had always been in close political and social relations with him yet he was afraid of a public visit from him he said that he had only three days in official life left and could incur no further dangers or reproaches than those he had already borne from the press and public speakers of the north the intensity of the prevalent feeling increased as the vast crowds arriving by every train added fresh material and hatred and hostility toward our new government were manifested in almost every conceivable manner another of the commissioners mr forsyth having arrived in washington on the twelfth of march eight days after the inauguration of mr lincoln the two commissioners then present messrs forsyth and crawford addressed to mr seward secretary of state a note informing him of their presence stating the friendly and peaceful purposes of their mission and requesting the appointment of a day as early as possible for the presentation to the president of the united states of their credentials and the objects which they had in view this letter will be found in the appendix with other correspondence which ensued published soon after the events to which it relates the attention of the reader is specially invited to these documents but as additional revelations have been made since they were first published it will be proper in order to a full understanding of the transactions to which they refer to give here a brief statement of the facts no written answer to the note of the commissioners was delivered to them for twenty-seven days after it was written the paper of mr seward in reply without signature or address dated march fifteenth was filed as he states on that day in the department of state but a copy of it was not handed to the commissioners until the eighth of april but an oral answer had been made to the note of the commissioners at a much earlier date for the significance of which it will be necessary to bear in mind the condition of affairs at charleston and pensacola fort sumter was still occupied by the garrison under command of major anderson with no material change in the circumstances since the failure of the attempt made in january to reinforce it by means of the star of the west 
this standing menace at the gates of the chief harbor of south carolina had been tolerated by the government and the people of that state and afterward by the confederate authorities in the abiding hope that it would be removed without compelling a collision of forces fort pickens on one side of the entrance to the harbor of pensacola was also occupied by a garrison of united states troops while the two forts baranacas and mcree on the other side were in possession of the confederates communication by sea was not entirely precluded however in the case of fort pickens the garrison had been strengthened and a fleet of federal men of war was lying outside of the harbor the condition of affairs at these forts especially at fort sumter was a subject of anxiety with the friends of peace and the hope of settling by negotiation the questions involved in their occupation had been one of the most urgent motives for the prompt dispatch of the commissioners to washington the letter of the commissioners to mr seward was written as we have seen on the twelfth of march the oral message above mentioned was obtained and communicated to the commissioners through the agency of two judges of the supreme court of the united states justices nelson of new york and campbell of alabama on the fifteenth of march according to the statement of judge campbell mr justice nelson visited the secretaries of state and of the treasury and the attorney general Monsieur seward chase and bates to dissuade them from undertaking to put in execution any policy of coercion during the term of the supreme court he had very carefully examined the laws of the united states to enable him to attain his conclusions and from time to time he had consulted the chief justice taney upon the questions which his examination had suggested his conclusion was that without very serious violations of constitution and statutes coercion could not be successfully effected by the executive department i had made continued judge campbell a similar examination and i concurred in his conclusions and opinions as he was returning from his visit to the state department we casually met and he informed me of what he had done he said he had spoken to these officers at large that he was received with respect and listened to with attention by all with approbation by the attorney general and with great cordiality by the secretary of state that the secretary had expressed gratification to find so many impediments to the disturbance of peace and only wished there had been more he stated that the secretary told him there was a present cause of embarrassment that the southern commissioners had demanded recognition and a refusal would lead to irritation and excitement in the southern states and would cause a counter irritation and excitement in the northern states prejudicial to a peaceful adjustment justice nelson suggested that i might be of service the result of the interview between these two distinguished gentlemen we are informed was another visit by both of them to the state department for the purpose of urging mr seward to reply to the commissioners and assure them of the desire of the united states government for a friendly adjustment mr seward seems to have objected to an immediate recognition of the commissioners on the ground that the state of public sentiment in the north would not sustain it in connection with the withdrawal of the troops from fort sumter which had been determined on the evacuation of sumter he said is as much as the administration can bear judge campbell adds i concurred in the conclusion that the evacuation of sumter involved responsibility and stated that there could not be too much caution in the adoption of measures so as not to shock or to irritate the public sentiment and that the evacuation of sumter was sufficient for the present in that direction i stated that i would see the commissioners and i would write to mr davis to that effect 
i asked him what i should say as to sumter and as to pickens he authorized me to say that before that letter could reach him mr davis he would learn by telegraph that the order for the evacuation of sumter had been made he said the condition of pickens was satisfactory and that there would be no change made there the italics in this extract are my own the letter in which this promise was communicated to me has been lost but it was given in substantially the terms above stated as authorized by mr seward that the order for evacuation of the fort would be issued before the letter could reach me the same assurance was given on the same day to the commissioners judge campbell tells us that mr crawford was slow to consent to refrain from pressing the demand for recognition it was only after some discussion and the expression of some objections that he consented to do so this consent was clearly one part of a stipulation of which the other part was the pledge that the fort would be evacuated in the course of a few days mr crawford required the pledge of mr seward to be reduced to writing with judge campbell's personal assurance of its genuineness and accuracy footnote in the course of this conversation i told judge crawford that it was fair to tell him that the opinion at washington was the succession movements were short-lived that his government would wither under sunshine and that the effect of these measures might be as supposed that they might have a contrary effect but that i did not consider the effect i wanted above all other things peace i was willing to accept whatever peace might bring whether union or disunion i did not look beyond peace he said he was willing to take all the risks of sunshine letter of judge campbell to colonel munford as above End footnote. this written statement was exhibited to judge nelson before its delivery and approved by him the fact that the pledge had been given in his name and behalf was communicated to mr seward the same evening by letter he was cognizant of consenting to and in great part the author of the whole transaction it will be observed that not only the commissioners in washington but the confederate government at montgomery also were thus assured on the highest authority that of the secretary of state of the united states the official organ of communication of the views and purposes of his government of the intention of that government to order the evacuation of fort sumter within a few days from the fifteenth of march and not to disturb the existing status at fort pickens moreover this was not the mere statement of a fact but a pledge given as the consideration of an appeal to the confederate government and its commissioners to refrain from embarrassing the federal administration by prosecuting any further claims at the same time as such a pledge it was accepted and while its fulfillment was quietly awaited the commissioners forbore to make any further demand for reply to their note of the twelfth of march five days having elapsed in this condition of affairs the commissioners in washington telegraphed brigadier-general beauregard commander of the confederate forces at charleston inquiring whether the fort had been evacuated or any action taken by major anderson indicating the probability of an evacuation answer was made to the dispatch that the fort had not been evacuated that there were no indications of such a purpose but that major anderson was still working on its defenses this dispatch was taken to mr seward by judge campbell two interviews occurred in relation to it at both of which judge nelson was also present of the result of these interviews judge campbell states the last was full and satisfactory the secretary was buoyant and sanguine he spoke of his ability to carry through his policy with confidence he accounted for the delay as accidental 
and not involving the integrity of his assurance that the evacuation would take place and that i should know whenever any change was made in the resolution in reference to sumter or to pickens i repeated this assurance in writing to judge crawford and informed governor seward in writing what i had said it would be incredible but for the ample proofs which have since been brought to light that during all this period of reiterated assurances of a purpose to withdraw the garrison from fort sumter and of excuses for the delay on account of the difficulties which embarrassed it the government of the united states was assiduously engaged in devising means for furnishing supplies and reinforcements to the garrison with the view of retaining possession of the fort mr g v fox afterward assistant secretary of the united states navy had proposed a plan for reinforcing and furnishing supplies to the garrison of fort sumter in february during the administration of mr buchanan in a letter published in the newspapers since the war he gives an account of the manner in which the proposition was renewed to the new administration and its reception by them as follows on the twelfth of march i received a telegram from postmaster general blair to come to washington i arrived there on the thirteenth mr blair having been acquainted with the proposition i presented to general scott under mr buchanan's administration sent for me to tender the same to mr lincoln informing me that lieutenant general scott had advised the president that the fort could not be relieved and must be given up mr blair took me at once to the white house and i explained the plan to the president thence we adjourned to lieutenant general scott's office where a renewed discussion of the subject took place the general informed the president that my plan was practicable in february but that the increased number of batteries erected at the mouth of the harbor since that time rendered it impossible in march finding that there was great opposition to any attempt at relieving fort sumter and that mr blair alone sustained the president in his policy of refusing to yield i judged that my arguments in favor of the practicability of sending in supplies would be strengthened by a visit to charleston and the fort the president readily agreed to my visit if the secretary of war and general scott raised no objection both these gentlemen consenting i left washington on the nineteenth of march and passing through richmond and wilmington reached charleston on the twenty first thus we see that at the very moment when mr secretary seward was renewing to the confederate government through judge campbell his positive assurance that the evacuation would take place this emissary was on his way to charleston to obtain information and devise measures by means of which this promise might be broken on his arrival in charleston mr fox tells us that he sought an interview with captain hartstein of the confederate navy and through this officer obtained from governor pickens permission to visit fort sumter he fails in his narrative to state what we learn from governor pickens himself that this permission was obtained expressly upon the pledge of pacific purposes notwithstanding this pledge he employed the opportunity afforded by his visit to mature the details of his plan for furnishing supplies and reinforcements to the garrison he did not he says communicate his plan or purposes to major anderson the commanding officer of the garrison having discernment enough perhaps to divine that the instincts of that brave and honest soldier would have revolted at and rebuked the duplicity and perfidy of the whole transaction the result of his visit was however reported at washington his plan was approved by president lincoln and he was sent to new york to make arrangements for putting it in execution in a very few days after says governor pickens in the message already quoted above another confidential agent 
Colonel Lamon, was sent by the President, Mr. Lincoln, who informed me that he had come to try and arrange for the removal of the garrison and, when he returned from the fort, asked if a war vessel could not be allowed to remove them. I replied that no war vessel could be allowed to enter the harbor on any terms. He said he believed Major Anderson preferred an ordinary steamer, and I agreed that the garrison might be thus removed. He said he hoped to return in a very few days for that purpose. This, it will be remembered, occurred while Mr. Fox was making active, though secret, preparations for his relief expedition. Colonel, or Major, Lamont, as he is variously styled in the correspondence, did not return to Charleston as promised. About the 30th of March, which was Saturday, a telegram from Governor Pickens was received by the commissioners in Washington, making inquiry with regard to Colonel Lamont and the meaning of the protracted delay to fulfill the promise of evacuation. This was fifteen days after the original assurance of Mr. Seward that the garrison would be withdrawn immediately, and ten days after his explanation that the delay was accidental. The dispatch of Governor Pickens was taken by Judge Campbell to Mr. Seward, who appointed the ensuing Monday, 1st of April, for an interview and answer. At that interview, Mr. Seward informed Judge Campbell that the President was concerned about the contents of the telegram. There was a point of honor involved that Lamont had no agency from him, nor title to speak. This late suggestion of the point of honor would seem, under the circumstances, to have been made in a spirit of sarcastic pleasantry, like Sir John Falstaff's celebrated discourse on the same subject. The only substantial result of the conversation, however, was the written assurance of Mr. Seward to be communicated to the commissioners that the government will not undertake to supply Fort Sumter without giving notice to Governor Pickens this it will be observed was a very material variation from the positive pledge previously given and reiterated to the commissioners to governor pickens and to myself directly that the fort was to be forthwith evacuated judge campbell in his account of the interview says i asked him mr seward whether i was to understand that there had been a change in his former communications his answer was none about the close of the same week the first in april the patience of the commissioners having now been well nigh exhausted and the hostile preparations of the government of the united states notwithstanding the secrecy with which they were conducted having become a matter of general rumor a letter was addressed to mr seward upon the subject by judge campbell in behalf of the commissioners again asking whether the assurances so often given were well or ill-founded to this the secretary returned answer in writing faith as to sumter fully kept wait and see this was on the seventh of april the very next day the eighth the following official notification without date or signature was read to governor pickens of south carolina and to general beauregard in charleston by mr chu an official of the state department mr seward's in washington who said as did captain or lieutenant talbot who accompanied him that it was from the President of the United States, and delivered by him to Mr. Chu on the 6th, the day before Mr. Seward's assurance of faith fully kept. I am directed by the President of the United States to notify you to expect an attempt will be made to supply Fort Sumter with provisions only, and that, if such an attempt be not resisted, no effort to throw in men, arms, or ammunition will be made without further notice or in case of an attack upon the fort. Thus disappeared the last vestige of the plighted faith and pacific pledges of the federal government. 
in order fully to appreciate the significance of this communication and of the time and circumstances of its delivery it must be borne in mind that the naval expedition which had been secretly in preparation for some time at new york under the direction of captain fox was now ready to sail and might reasonably be expected to be at charleston almost immediately after the notification was delivered to governor pickens and before preparation could be made to receive it owing to cross purposes or misunderstandings in the washington cabinet however and then to the delay caused by a severe storm at sea this expectation was disappointed and the confederate commander at charleston had opportunity to communicate with montgomery and to receive instructions for his guidance before the arrival of the fleet which had been intended to be a surprise in publications made since the war by members of mr lincoln's cabinet it has been represented that during the period of the disgraceful transactions above detailed there were dissensions and divisions in the cabinet certain members of it urging measures of prompt and decided coercion the secretary of state favoring a pacific or at least a dilatory policy and the president vacillating for a time between the two but eventually adopting the views of the coercionists in these statements it is represented that the assurances and pledges given by mr seward to the confederate government and its commissioners were given on his own authority and without the consent or approval of the president of the united states the absurdity of any such attempt to disassociate the action of the president from that of his secretary and to relieve the former of responsibility for the conduct of the latter is too evident to require argument or comment it is impossible to believe that during this whole period of nearly a month mr lincoln was ignorant of the communications that were passing between the confederate commissioners and mr seward though the distinguished member of the supreme court still holding his seat as such who was acting as an intermediary on the occasion judge campbell informs us that the secretary in the midst of an important interview excused himself for the purpose of conferring with the president before giving a final answer and left his visitor for some time awaiting his return from that conference when the answer was given avowedly and directly proceeding from the president if however it were possible to suppose that mr seward was acting on his own responsibility and practicing a deception upon his own chief as well as upon the confederate authorities in the pledges which he made to the latter it is nevertheless certain that the principal facts were brought to light within a few days after the close of the efforts at negotiation yet the secretary of state was not impeached and brought to trial for the grave offense of undertaking to conduct the most momentous and vital transactions that had been or could be brought before the government of the united states without the knowledge and opposition to the will of the president and for having involved the government in dishonor if not in disaster he was not even dismissed from office but continued to be the chief officer of the cabinet and confidential adviser of the president as he was afterward of the ensuing administration occupying that station during two consecutive terms no disavowal of his action no apology nor explanation was ever made politically and legally the president is unquestionably responsible in all cases for the action of any member of his cabinet and in this case it is as preposterous to attempt to dissever from him the moral as it would be impossible to relieve him of the legal responsibility that rests upon the government of the united states for the systematic series of frauds perpetrated by its authority on the other hand mr seward throughout the whole negotiation was fully informed of the views of his colleagues in the cabinet and of the president whatever his real hopes or purposes may have been in the beginning it is positively certain that long before the end and while still reiterating his assurances that the garrison would be withdrawn he knew that it had been determined and that active preparations were in progress to strengthen it mr gideon wells who was secretary of the navy in mr lincoln's cabinet gives the following account of one of the transactions of the period 
one evening in the latter part of the month of march there was a small gathering at the executive mansion while the sumter question was still pending the members of the cabinet were soon individually and quietly invited to the council chamber where as soon as assembled the president informed him that he had just been advised by general scott that it was expedient to evacuate fort pickens as well as fort sumter which last was assumed at military headquarters to be a determined fact in conformity with the views of secretary seward and the general-in-chief a brief silence followed the announcement of the amazing recommendation of general scott when mr blair who had been much annoyed by the vacillating course of the general-in-chief in regard to sumter remarked looking earnestly at mr seward that it was evident the old general was playing politician in regard to both sumter and pickens for it was not possible if there was a defense for the rebels to take pickens and that the administration would not be justified if it listened to his advice and evacuated either very soon thereafter i think at the next cabinet meeting the president announced his decision that supplies should be sent to sumter and issued confidential orders to that effect all were gratified with this decision except mr seward who still remonstrated but preparations were immediately commenced to fit out an expedition to forward supplies this account is confirmed by a letter of mr montgomery blair the date of the announcement of the president's final purpose is fixed by mr wells in the neat paragraph to that above quoted as the twenty eighth of march this was four days before mr seward's assurance given judge campbell after conference with the president that there would be no departure from the pledges previously given which were that the fort would be evacuated and ten days before his written renewal of the assurance faith as to sumter fully kept wait and see this assurance too was given at the very moment when a messenger from his own department was on the way to charleston to notify the governor of south carolina faith would not be kept in the matter it is scarcely necessary to say that the commissioners had with good reason ceased to place any confidence in the promises of the united states government before they ceased to be made on the eighth of april they sent the following dispatch to general beauregard washington april eighth eighteen sixty one general g t beauregard accounts uncertain because of the constant vacillation of this government we were reassured yesterday that the status of sumter would not be changed without previous notice to governor pickens but we have no faith in them the war policy prevails in the cabinet at this time m j crawford on the same day the announcement made to governor pickens through mr chu was made known the commissioners immediately applied for a definitive answer to their note of march twelfth which had been permitted to remain in abeyance the paper of the secretary of state dated march fifteenth was thereupon delivered to them this paper with the final rejoinder of the commissioners and judge campbell's letters to the secretary of april thirteenth and april twentieth respectively will be found in the appendix negotiation was now at an end and the commissioners withdrew from washington and returned to their homes their last dispatch before leaving shows that they were still dependent upon public rumor and the newspapers for information as to the real purposes and preparations of the federal administration it was in these words washington april tenth eighteen sixty one general g t beauregard the tribune of to-day declares the main object of the expedition to be the relief of sumter and that a force will be landed which will overcome all opposition roman crawford and forsyth the annexed extracts from my message to the confederate congress at the opening of its special session on the twenty ninth of april will serve as a recapitulation of the events above narrated with all of comment that it was then or is now considered necessary to add extracts from president's message to the confederate congress of april twenty ninth eighteen sixty one 
scarce had you assembled in february last when prior even to the inauguration of the chief magistrate you had elected you expressed your desire for the appointment of commissioners and for the settlement of all questions of disagreements between two governments upon principles of right justice equity and good faith it was my pleasure as well as my duty to cooperate with you in this work of peace indeed in my address to you on taking the oath of office and before receiving from you the communication of this resolution i had said that as a necessity not as a choice we have resorted to the remedy of separating and henceforth our energies must be directed to the conduct of our own affairs and the perpetuity of the confederacy which we have formed if a just perception of mutual interest shall permit us to peaceably pursue our separate political career my most earnest desire will then have been fulfilled it was in furtherance of these accordant views of the congress and the executive that i made choice of three discreet able and distinguished citizens who repaired to washington aided by their cordial cooperation and that of the secretary of state every effort compatible with self-respect and the dignity of the confederacy was exhausted before i allowed myself to yield to the conviction that the government of the united states was determined to attempt the conquest of this people and that our cherished hopes of peace were unattainable on the arrival of our commissioners in washington on the fifth of march footnote mr crawford as we have seen had arrived some days earlier the statement in the message refers to the arrival of the full commission or a majority of it and footnote they postponed at the suggestion of a friendly intermediator doing more than giving informal notice of their arrival this was done with a view to afford time to the president of the united states who had just been inaugurated for the discharge of other pressing official duties in the organization of his administration before engaging his attention to the object of their mission it was not until the twelfth of the month that they officially addressed the secretary of state informing him of the purpose of their arrival and stating in the language of their instructions their wish to make to the government of the united states overtures for the opening of negotiations assuring the government of the united states that the president congress and people of the confederate states desired a peaceful solution of these great questions that it was neither their interest nor their wish to make any demand which was not founded on the strictest principles of justice nor to do any act to injure their late confederates to this communication no formal reply was received until the eighth of april during the interval the commissioners had consented to waive all questions of form with the firm resolve to avoid war if possible they went so far even as to hold during that long period unofficial intercourse through an intermediary whose high position and character inspired the hope of success and through whom constant assurances were received from the government of the united states of its peaceful intentions of its determination to evacuate for sumter and further that no measure would be introduced changing the existing status prejudicial to the confederate states that in the event of any change in regard to fort pickens notice would be given to the commissioners the crooked path of diplomacy can scarcely furnish an example so wanting in courtesy in candor and directness as was the course of the united states government toward our commissioners in washington for proof of this i refer to the annexed documents marked taken in connection with further facts which i now proceed to relate early in april the attention of the whole country was attracted to extraordinary preparations in new york and other northern ports for an extensive military and naval expedition these preparations were commenced in secrecy for an expedition whose destination was concealed and only became known when nearly completed and on the fifth sixth and seventh of april transports and vessels of war with troops munitions and military supplies sailed from northern ports bound southward alarmed by so extraordinary a demonstration 
the commissioners requested the delivery of an answer to their official communication of the twelfth of march and the reply dated on the fifteenth of the previous month was obtained from which it appears that during the whole interval while the commissioners were receiving assurances calculated to inspire hope of the success of their mission the secretary of state and the president of the united states had already determined to hold no intercourse with them whatever to refuse to even listen to any proposals they had to make and had profited by the delay created by their own assurances in order to prepare secretly the means for effective hostile operations that these assurances were given has been virtually confessed by the government of the united states by its act of sending a messenger to charleston to give notice of its purpose to use force if opposed in its intention of supplying fort sumter no more striking proof of the absence of good faith in the conduct of the government of the united states toward the confederacy can be required than is contained in the circumstances which accompanied this notice according to the usual course of navigation the vessels composing the expedition and designed for the relief of fort sumter might be looked for in charleston harbor on the ninth of april yet our commissioners in washington were detained under assurances that notice should be given of any military movement the notice was not addressed to them but a messenger was sent to charleston to give notice to the governor of south carolina and the notice was given at a late hour on the eighth of april the eve of the very day which the fleet might be expected to arrive that this maneuver failed in its purpose was not the fault of those who controlled it a heavy tempest delayed the arrival of the expedition and gave time to the commander of our forces at charleston to ask and receive instructions of the government end of part three chapter eleven